0: Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. We're thankful for your presence this morning. Uh, Those that come here often, and those of you that may be visiting this morning, welcome. In the name of Jesus. John, chapter 14. We'll focus on just a few verses here in opening beginning in verse 15. John fourteen, fifteen. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth With you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judith saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him and will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. Verse 26, but the comforter, or some versions say helper, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Comforter has come. And I think as we approach our worship service this morning, every one of us have have come to hear What the word, what the spirit says to this church, to this congregation, to this gathering this morning. And I I say to you that the spirit comes to you, the comfort comes to you this morning by promise. To those who have believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says, though he is not here physically, he has left. And risen again and gone to the Father. But by promise he has sent his comforter to those who believe in his name. And it lists many attributes, offices, and, uh, and activities of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Right here just in this short passage. As Jesus uh, gives his, his parting a few words through these chapters. He, he gives us that promise that the Holy Spirit will, in verse 16, He will comfort. And in verse 16, He will abide with you forever. And so I I just give you this in opening that you may be at times struggling or wondering where the presence of God is in my life or in this particular situation or in this week or in this activity or in this relationship but by promise the holy spirit will be will abide with you verse 16 forever verse 17 even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth Him. In verse 17c, but you know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And again, I, I proclaim that as a promise this morning because it doesn't always feel like that the presence of God is, is always with us in our situation. But by promise, He not only is abiding in you, in verse 16. But it says, but you know Him. You know Him. And that word know, to me, speaks about an intimate relationship. By promise, you know Him. You know the Father, you know the Son, Jesus Christ, and His presence is with you by the Holy Spirit. You know Him, and He dwelleth With you, so that speaks about a a surrounding presence of the Father through the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ this morning in this very service. Right now, He has a surrounding presence around you individually and around us collectively and around His church worldwide this morning. A surrounding presence with you, but it goes on, more importantly, he shall be in you. Not only is the Holy Spirit giving and promising His surrounding presence, but he is uh, promising with every believer this morning His internal presence with you individually and with us collectively. The Holy Spirit is here. Right now, the Comforter has come. Jesus is speaking futuristic in these words that I will send a Comforter. But we all know that because he died and because he rose again, we speak about that in present tense this morning. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, has come. He is around you, surrounding you, and he is more importantly in you this morning. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Verse 19, because I live, ye shall also live. The Holy Spirit brings life. And 20 and 21, it speaks about that uh, unity between the Father and the Son, and because of the Holy Spirit, it brings unity with us. We are one with them. And 21 speaks about His love. Uh, he, he manifests Himself to us. That word means he, will, he makes known Himself to us through the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's important, I guess, to, to claim that promise as we enter into a worship service as we are this morning. Because we totally believe by faith. And that's why you've come this morning. I, I trust you didn't come for some social gathering or for some uh, club get-together, but we have come this morning because He is going to make manifest Himself to us. He will make known Himself to us through the Holy Spirit. And so we claim that this morning. If you come seeking, He will make known Himself through His Spirit this morning. Verse 21. It's a promise. And I might have said this before, but if you believe in the promises of God, if you believe that this word is true, then you must take every promise to be truth. And so if you believe in any promise in God's word, you must believe in them all. And so that very promise this morning, in that word, in John chapter 14, verse 21, it is a promise that he will make known Himself to us. He will reveal Himself to us through the Holy Spirit this morning. And it just goes on, in verse, and we'll go to verse 26, the Comforter or Helper, which is the Holy Ghost, so it names Him as a person, part of the Godhead, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things. So He not only promises His surrounding presence. He not only promises His internal and eternal presence. He not only promises to reveal and to comfort, but here He promises to teach you all things. And so if you're young in the faith and you don't always know which foot to put forward, it says here He will teach you that. If you're old in the faith... He promises the same promise. If you're here this morning seeking his name, he promises this morning that he will teach you. He will reveal himself to you and he will teach you through his word, through our brother this morning, he will teach. It's a promise. Again, if we believe in one promise, if it's true, we must believe that all promises are true in this book. And that promise says that he will teach you We don't need to be super timid about walking in faith. And I'm not saying, I'm not claiming arrogance. I'm just saying, don't be afraid. He will teach you how to live, how to believe when when we doubt. He will teach you, it says here, all things. And so we claim that to be a promise um, through the Holy Spirit this morning. We'll take prayer requests. Before we go to prayer, uh, Chris Wall, I think I'll call on you to pray, if you would. And uh, do we have prayer requests this morning publicly?
1: Good morning, everyone. This morning, we uh, would like to bring up or, or raise the topic of the Lamb's Book of Life. We uh, recently had a great opportunity to teach in the Bible school. We were teaching on the Book of Revelation, and uh, Lamb's Book of Life comes up a lot in the Book of Revelation, but I didn't have a chance to really develop it, but the Lord has laid this on us to expand on these thoughts here this morning with us. You know, a lot of times, uh, it came up in Bible school, the, uh, the whole subject of the rapture. And a lot of people kind of have the idea that the rapture is pretty much all it. I mean, that's just pretty much the end of prophecy and that everything is centered on that. In fact, I overheard on the first day at school, one young man in a, during a break time, he was telling another young man, he said, you know, really just the first couple of chapter chapters of Revelation, all that matters. The rest of it, well, I don't, I don't really know, but, you know, it's, just the, it's all that matters is what, what's there at the beginning. Talking about the rapture. And, all. and I, I raised that and told him, I said, this, this is an attitude, but we have an entire book here. But you know what I found is the rapture does take up too much of our theological energy, you might say. I mean, there's churches and there's ministries that base their their whole concept of theology on how they view the the rapture. The rapture is in the twinkling of an eye. It is an instant. There's a whole lot more. And and I'm going to raise to you today, I'm going to submit to you today, that the Lamb's Book of Life... Is preeminent or it preempts the rapture. That it has a more a greater essential character in context throughout the entire Bible. <clears throat> some of the things that are concerning the land's book of life, and these are some of the, the things that the Bible tells us is that those whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life is a listing of those who fear him, who fear God. Those who esteem God's name. Those who serve God and follow him. Those that belong to God and God calls them his jewels or his treasured possessions. And God knows us by our name. And all this is in the Lamb's Book of Life. The central question comes down to, um, or the eternal condition that we're in, is, is how will God look at me in final judgment? Is he going to judge me based upon all of the history of my life that is written down in the books, as it describes in the great white throne judgment? Am I going to be judged by all my works, or... In that great white throne judgment, it says there was another book opened called the book of life. And so the essential situation comes down to that in judgment, am I going to be judged by all of my works that are written out through all these history books? Am I going to be judged because my name is in the Lamb's book of life and I'm covered by his blood, by his sacrifice for me? That he took care of everything that I need through all eternity, and my name is just in that book. And I'm judged because of, through Jesus Christ and all he did for me. That's why why I say this preempts (coughs) in so many ways, in such an essential character, essential thought My name being written in the land's book of life is the result of the most essential matter of life, the most essential question of life. Let me, let me give an example here. Let me create a picture here to you. Let's say that <clears throat> this little podium right here is the sum of everything that people experience. And that, no, we call it the earth, you might say, but this this little podium here, and just the part that I'm standing on, represents everything that people know and experience and and all of our thoughts and all of our philosophy and and everything and and all of our history and everything is attached to this. And that everything that's beyond this podium, in every direction to all eternity, goes up and down below the, the podium. is We're just a flat thing here. But underneath, everything that's underneath here is where God is, and God's thoughts. In every direction, everything that's beyond us is what God is, and what he experiences, what he knows, and what he's created, and the plans that he's made for us is everything that's beyond this podium. But you and I, we're here, boy. It's solid. You know, we got something we can touch. We, we can deal with this. You know, we like to build things. You know, we go right to the edge and we build big monuments of all kinds and so forth. And
0: we got it solid here. We like to always get up on it, you know. Well,
1: it's pretty solid. And we think we're really something. But everything beyond us is where God is. And once in a while, we walk over to the, the edge and we realize Once in a while, we get to the edge of God's thinking, right to the end, and we step back because, boy, we'd rather be in the solid spot. I even got a room here. I could get underneath this little spot here and hide away, and I just love being right here because I can sense this. My sensory perceptions are completely fulfilled right here in my space, but once in a while, we get over here. I cannot even begin to think in those terms because that's what God is. This is what we call a finite mind that we have as people. But what happens is is that God is calling us by name. So I want you to go to the edge I want you to step off by faith. Whoa. Well, I don't know about that, Lord. I'm, I'm solid over. I'm good. I'm good. You've heard that a lot. I'm good. And the Lord says, no, I want you to come. I want you to step off in faith. And I want you to walk where I am. Whoa.
0: There's nothing there.
1: But God's calling you by name calls you to walk in faith. To trust God. That trust God that God knows what he's talking about. We'd rather stay where it's solid, don't we? I'm not so sure God knows what he's talking about. I can't touch any of that. I can't see anything that's solid there. God is calling me to walk in faith. Faith, what's that? He said, will you trust me? He wants us to trust God... that eternal life is in Jesus Christ. And that you can be redeemed, that you can be saved because of the sacrifice life of Jesus Christ in my place. And that I will have eternal life out there where God is if I will trust God. And he's calling me by name to trust him. And to walk by faith, to commit to walk by faith, to follow his voice and to believe that Jesus has written my name in the land's book of life. Will I trust him? We shudder. We jump back from that edge. We're not sure that we want to trust him. Background information. I've written some things up here on the board for those that are listening. We have on the left side a listing of different names of what I'll call names of the book of life or the land's book of life. And and it it probably could be debated. I, I don't know for sure, but I think these are all things that refer to the same book. Maybe you have a different thought on this. There's at least two places it's called the book and the book of the living and thy book, the book of remembrance written in heaven. Two times it says that. Six times it refers to the book of life. And the book of life of the Lamb and the Lamb's book of life. And I believe that these are all referring to the same book. Because in the latter chapters of Revelation, it describes it in contrast to the books that are open, which are the works of men. But this is a book of God that He has kept. Now, also for those that are listening, we have on the right side of the board uh, some background information. Many references in the Bible. Are referring to something that comes or came from before or at the foundations of the world. Because this is the way God thinks. This is this is the God thought. We gotta get out here. We've got to get to the end. We've got to step into God's thinking here because He is so far beyond us. That in God Jesus says in Matthew 13, 35 that there are secret things that I'm gonna reveal to people in parables that have been secret from the foundation of the world. Jesus also told us that there's a, going to be, there's a kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That starts to stretch us, doesn't it? From before creation, before this podium was built that people stand on, a kingdom, an eternal kingdom was prepared for me, for you, for all of us from the foundation of the world. God also tells Ephesians 1, 4, God chose us in him from the foundation of the world. We can't hardly process that. But God himself chose me before the foundation of the world, before creation ever happened, before there was ever a structure called world, God chose me. He tells us also that that the works for salvation were finished before the foundation of the world. That Jesus Christ accomplished everything that I needed for salvation before the foundation of the world. We're so far out there in God's territory it's hard for us to process these things. But these are promises that are in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about the redemption that we've been given is by the perfect blood of Christ and it was foreordained to be that way before the foundation of the world. Our redemption in the blood of Jesus Christ was in God's plan and that Jesus actually accomplished all of that before the foundation of the world. Revelation, there's two passages here. Revelation 13.8 and Revelation 17.8. And it says in 13.8, it talks about the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. I'm going through all this because we need to be reminded of how little in our space of thinking is. And God has accomplished so many things before we even came into being because his mind is so much broader, greater, deeper in whatever way he want to send it. We cannot even begin to think the way he thinks that somehow the lamb that was slain for you and I, that paid the price for you and I, that gives us redemption, was already accomplished before the foundations of the world were built. And also in 1780, it talks about those people who are worshiping the beast, the Antichrist, in the time of great tribulation, that it mentions that their names were not written in the book of life before the foundation of the world or from the foundation of the world, I believe it says. Now if you process that thought just a little bit, it starts to raise up all kinds of issues. That's not fair! What do you mean their names weren't written there from the beginning? That they were sort of like condemned from the beginning? And we start throwing those thoughts around. And God's understanding of all this is out there somewhere. I'm pretty small in the way I have to, have to build process things. So this is all background to help us enter into the things about the Lamb's Book of Life because it's out there in God's thinking of how he does it, how he has done it. See, we, we can only think in literal ter- or linear terms of something past, and something present, something future, and God is always in the present tense. When he introduced himself, he says, I am that I am. The name of God literally is in the present tense. He has never been before or later. He is always in the present tense. You see, from our little podium view, we can't even begin the process that God is always in the present tense. He's already known everything that could possibly be known that way, and everything that's now, and everything that's in our future. He already knows it all. As we talk about the Lamb's Book of Life, we have to understand the bigness, the greatness of God, and His understanding. Okay, open your Bibles Exodus 32. We're going to look at some passages. Make some comments along the way to help us understand about the land's book of life. Exodus chapter 32. <clears throat> land's book of life just isn't in the book of Revelation. Here's the situation. <clears throat> thirty-two, thirty-two. Moses has come down. He finds the people have created a golden calf, created gods out of gold. And he is just stricken with this. what these people have done. And there's great sin, he says in verse 31. In verse 32, he says, yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. Moses is pleading with God for the sins of the people Israel. If thou wilt forgive their sin. And there's a dramatic pause created there in the text. And if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Now, as humans, we start to try to draw conclusions from that. Okay, God has a book, and it's possible that he can blot out a person's name out of his book. But he goes on, verse 33, And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. He makes it very clear to Mo- Moses, you can't do that for other people. Every person owns their own sin. And if they have sinned against me, then I will blot them out. And so we start to think. So God has a book, and maybe he's going to blot my name out. Okay, that's out there somewhere. Okay, you've got you to let that go a little bit because we can't hardly process that thought, can we? Let's move on. Psalms chapter 69. Psalms 69, just one verse 28. It says here, "'Let them be blotted out of the book of the living "'and not be written with the righteous.'" King David, I believe, was writing that and his prayer Was that these ones, these these ones that were coming against them would be blotted out of the book of the living. And they would not be written or or enrolled in the listing of the righteous. Go on to Psalms chapter 139. 139 at verse 14. Here the psalm writer is describing us being formed in the womb of our mother. 139.14 I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee. Or my frame, in another translation it says, my frame was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. A picture of being, being formed in our mother's womb. And the Lord saw me, he knew everything about me. In my mother's womb. Verse 16, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written. And in some ways you might say that all of the members of my body were written, or in other translations it says, All the days of my life that were ordained for me are written there. And we were being formed in our mother's womb that all the days of our life are being written in God's book. Turn on to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And at that time shall Michael stand up. Michael the archangel, the archangel that's always associated with Israel. He's like the primary prince of Israel to stand for them, to fight for Israel. And at that time, this is Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, And at that time shall Michael stand up in the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, meaning this great prince Michael for the children of Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time, <clears throat> And in, in the language of this is, is connecting it to the, all the prophecies that deal with the day of the Lord, the time when God's going to finally bring His final judgments upon the earth. It's going to be a time of great trouble, like ne- nothing that ever has been before. And Michael's going to stand up as the archangel for Israel. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, meaning the Jewish people are going to be delivered. Every one that shall be found written in the book. that God has a book, and everyone that is found in that book is going to be delivered. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. <clears throat> Just a, a quick thought on that. Is the pic, there's two pictures of, of, of resurrection there. One is the resurrection that occurs at the rapture of all that are dead in Christ and all that are alive on the world will rise up, will be caught up in the air with Jesus Christ, and they will end up being in the millennial kingdom, reigning with Christ for a thousand years. That's called the first resurrection. We'll get to that in Revelation 20. But it also describes here another kind of resurrection, to shame and to everlasting contempt, and that's the people who it says that the dead, <coughs> the dead during the thousand year will will not rise again until after those thousand years are finished. And they're going to come up to the great white throne judgment and they're going to be judged out of those books because it's to shame and contempt. So there's a lot loaded in these little passages here. But once again, the picture that Israel also is included in God's book. Malachi chapter 3, the last chapter, last page in the Old Testament. Let's look at a few verses here. Beginning in Malachi chapter 3. I want to read this slowly. I want you to picture it. I want you to hear this. I want you to take it deep into your soul. Malachi, the last prophet recorded in the Old Testament. After this, there was 400 years of silence before God spoke again. And this is what he's saying in the last words. Chapter 3, verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. I want you to take this very personal. That you as a believer in God, in Jesus Christ, in all that he has said he will do and has done for us, that we would speak often with one another about these things. And the Lord hearkened, which means the Lord was paying attention. And he heard it, that the Lord is paying attention when we are talking with each other about the things of the Lord, because it's those who are fearing God that are talking to one another. So he pays attention, the Lord hears it, and then it says, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. you know this is such a, <clears throat> an interesting picture because when as we began uh, to think about this whole subject of the lamb's book of life there's a, a very strong sense as we get into some of these passages that the lamb's book of life the book of life that these things were written before the foundations of the world is it as if was your name in the book of life in the lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world and and we start trying to process that in our terms you got to remember, Jesus is always in the, in the present tense. So whatever happens, <clears throat> he already knows it before the world was ever created. So it's hard for us to kind of put all this together. But here is a passage where you have the picture of God himself sitting there on his throne because <clears throat> he heard these believers talking. And a book of remembrance was written before him. <clears> that this book is being written. A book of remembrance. And what's it about? It's about those that feared, God, feared the Lord and that thought, which also means that esteemed his name. That those that fear God and those that esteem him are, good, are being written in front of him at his throne. And God goes on and says, And they shall be mine. He takes ownership over us. He says, I, I want you so much, I'm going to claim you as mine. That's what God thinks about those. He's putting that book of remembrance. And he goes on. In that day, when I make up my jewels, which in another translation is called the treasured possessions, in that day, when I, when I make up, when I take up, when I put all together, all the things that are precious to me, I want you to be there. I want you to be part of that. And I'm going to write it in my book of remembrance that your name is to be there. Because you are so utterly precious to me. And he goes on. He says, and I will spare them as a man spareth his son, his own son, that serveth him. I'm not going to go on to explain that because we're, we're going to get onto too many different channels here. But verse 18, then shall ye return. This is a picture of Jesus Christ coming again the second time upon the earth to bring judgment upon the earth. The first time he came to save us. The second time he comes to judge. Verse 18, then you shall return. And this is what he's going to do when he returns. He's going to discern between the righteous and the wicked. Between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. And he's got a book with the names that are precious to him that he says serve him. He also has books for those that don't serve him. But he goes on and talks about the day of the Lord. The time of judgment. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch, but unto you that fear my name. Shall the son of righteousness uprise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, say the Lord of hosts. God has plans to bring this world to an end and to judge those who do not serve him. And they're going to be burnt up. We are treading out there in God's thinking and how God's going to finish things. But he also has a way of preserving his precious own, the ones who serve him. And he has it in a book. Now, in John chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 7, there's some some interesting word pictures that God, Jesus Christ, when he was here, talked to us about. He talks to us there in John chapter 10 about the sheep and how he's the shepherd and, and the sheep that hear his voice and he calls them by name and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. That's a way of Jesus describing those that are his. He calls them by their name. They know his voice, they follow him. Pretty simple. But that's what God, call, that's what God is calling us to. When he calls us off of the podium of man's understanding, and he said, I'm calling you by name. Will you follow me? Will you, will, you, will you step off of that? Will you follow me? Do you know my voice? The same chapter, a few verses down, <clears throat> again it repeats that the sheep hear his voice and I know them. And no man can pluck them out of my hand and no man can pluck them out of my father's hand. John chapter 10. We'll make references to a few other things here. In Luke chapter ten, verse twenty, it talks about uh, rejoice not because you can go out and do miraculous things, but because your names are written in the in in heaven. And in Philippians four three, it talks about my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. In Hebrews twelve, another reference to being written in heaven. Now let's tu- let's turn now to Revelation chapter three and look at a few things that are in Revelation now. Revelation chapter 3, under the church of Sardis, in the final part of that, in every one of these letters, there are promises to overcomers. Chapter 3, verse 5, to Sardis, he says, To he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. What a promise that is to those that are overcome, to those <clears throat> that, have been, that are believers in Jesus Christ. And, and perhaps in the reference to the, the, the end times, saying that those that, that overcome all of the temptations to believe the Antichrist, but it's also to you and I, to those that overcome Satan by the blood. He has promised us that he, our names are not going to be blotted out of the book of life, but that we're, our name is going to be confessed Before the Father and before the angels, he's going to be confessed out through heaven. Is that promise to overcomers? Revelation chapter thirteen and chapter seventeen—we've kind of mentioned them up here. There's two references here, and it's talking both places about people who who are trusting and worshiping the Antichrist and have taken his mark and have taken his number of of the man. And, all the, and they worship him. And these, in verse 13, 7 through 8, it talks about whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And so there it's saying that their names were not written in the book of life of the Lamb. And that explanatory phrase says slain from the foundation of the world. And so you, you get a picture there that these people's names were not written in that book because it's the book of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. But in contrast to that, chapter 17, if if you hold these two together, chapter 17, verse 8, it talks about whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. and leaves out the part about Jesus being slain from the foundation of the world. It simply says their names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. I mentioned that earlier right here. Those, both of those references are talking about people who have not chosen to follow God. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 20, we'll quickly bring this to a close. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 20, and you're probably thinking, yeah, well, you're at the last book and near the end of the book, hopefully he's done pretty soon. But the, Revelation chapter 20, <clears throat> in verse 12, it tells us here. This is about the great white throne judgment. You really should spend some time reading the entire book of chapter 20 here. And I saw in verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was not found no place for them. So here's a picture of that last judgment, the great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand year millennial kingdom. You'll get that if you read other chapters, excuse me, you'll understand this. And you have those who were believers who have been reigning with Christ for a thousand years. And it says, in the, and it tells us earlier in this same chapter that, that the rest of the dead did not live again for a thousand years. And at the end of that, they're brought up for the great white throne judgment at the last of that time. And this is how they're judged. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to That's where it comes down to that essential matter of life. Do I want to come to judgment as those coming from the dead? Coming up to the great white throne judgment? And the books are open and every bit of history of my entire life is laid against my account. And I'm thrown into hell. Or do I want to have already been judged? And, because my name is written in the land's book of life. And Jesus Christ has covered me. And when God looks at me, he sees Jesus Christ. And it all hinges on whether your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Revelation 21 27, last verse, chapter 21. And there shall, this is speaking about the Jerusalem, the, the, the holy Jerusalem, the bride of, of the Lamb is coming down from heaven and being described with all the gates and all the walls and all the colors of the foundations and all the gemstones and the gold street and all the, the, the beautiful light and brilliance of, of heaven. And then it says in this last verse, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh alive, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, Once again, it becomes the essential thing that your name be in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because you have chosen to step off all that seems secure and all that seems solid, and you stepped off into God's thinking and and say, I trust God, I'm going to have faith. I am having faith. I'm going to to have enough faith I'm going to step right off. Wow, I didn't have to. I I, I can walk. I can walk in faith. I didn't just disappear into nothingness. God's calling our names. Will you trust me? Will you step off in what appears to be nothingness and follow Jesus Christ? There's one last thing in Revelation 22, 19. It's going to be talking about anyone that might take away <clears throat> anything from this book or add anything to this book, that God will take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city. <clears throat> and I don't know how to explain to you all the things that I've thrown at you today. I don't know how to get into the nitty-gritty of, okay... Uh, Let's see. I, I go through my whole life. I get to be seventy-eight to eight years old. Uh, kind of. Uh, is there gonna come some, some day I wake up and is God just simply blot my name out? What Jesus tell us? I call them by name. They know my voice. They follow me, and no man can pluck them out of my hand or out of my Father's hand. It is our desire today for anyone that has been hearing God calling you by name. Because he knows your name. You know there's also a promise to overcomers that says for those that overcome, they're going to be given a new name. And nobody knows that name except you and Jesus. Because Jesus can call you by that name and you know it. That's how personal heaven is. That's how personally Jesus Christ loves you and went to the cross and was thinking of you and I on the cross. Because he has a special name for you. And we trust that you're you're going to make, you're going to respond to that call and to be willing to take that leap of faith, that's a cliche, but it's a real thing, that leap of faith, you know, the step, okay, God, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna trust you, yeah, I'll, that's right. <clears throat> Thank Jesus. <clears throat> Take that leap. <clears throat> Let's have a song.
0: just something like that